I think in addition to just their energy, <laughs> young mm-hmm. people can offer a little bit of challenging to the church because they they do want the authenticity and they want to challenge things that aren't really Christ-like. And I think, you know, if they are young Christians, we oftentimes will accept their challenging more than we will somebody who is outside of the church, outside of our congregation, who we would just perceive it as like bashing the church. Sure. You know, yeah. I think that a lot of them want the wisdom of older members, you know, shepherds and elders in the church, and they want to absorb that and are humble enough to do it. But they, I I think a lot of the young people, at least that I know, and I'm very blessed to know, have the internal confidence to, to ask the hard questions and to challenge and to make suggestions of how things can be done better. So at least from my perspective, if churches were really wanting to expand their their numbers and not just serve those in their congregation, but grow their congregation, you mm-hmm. know, and make disciples of men outside of their walls. I think it would behoove them to get the perspectives of younger people and see what, you know, younger people have stopped going to church in many ways. And that that's just, I feel like pretty statistically true. And I think you need to hear the wisdom of what the young people who are still remaining in your pews have to say. podcast for ministry, biblical studies, and Christian living. I'm your host, Kevin Burr. Today I had the privilege of continuing my earlier conversation with Stephanie O'Brien, a licensed professional counselor and the director of Upward Bound at Harding University. I asked her about the good things college students can offer the church. It's tempting for many older Christians to overlook the value of what college-aged Christians can bring to the church. Perhaps, as Stephanie says, they can offer a helpful corrective to some things the church has maybe missed. Most importantly, young people today, like many who have gone on before them, are eager to see in others and experience for themselves a faith of conviction, not merely a faith of convenience. This conversation that I had may ruffle some feathers, but I'm glad for Stephanie to raise these important issues. If you enjoy the kinds of conversations we're having here in the podcast, would you be willing to like and subscribe to us and maybe share this with someone you think might benefit from this? And as always, thank you all so much for tuning in today. Stephanie, welcome back to the podcast. I am excited to be able to talk with you about the rest of what we were going to talk about last time. And also, I want to say congratulations. You are the first repeat guest on Faith in the Folds. (laughs) That is exciting. Uh, I, I was joking with you before we got started today that you should get some kind of plaque or something. Um, if I ever set up a Patreon account, I'll have enough money to send you a <laughs> gift card. <laughs> I'll have enough money Perfect. to send you a gift card for this. Yeah. But last time uh, we talked, we talked really about uh, some of the main spiritual challenges that right. Christians in college face. And we also talked about some of the, some of the negative effects that social media can have, it's fair to say that there are pos- certainly positives to be gained right. by, a, by a good use of social media. 
but we spent a lot of time talking about that. Probably the, the biggest takeaway for me was hearing you name three specific tools you do, you described in this great segment as uh, Satan's tool belt, three specific things that Satan uses to attack us hardest, secrets, shame, and isolation. By way of review, would you be willing to say just a little bit about those before we mm -hmm. get into some of the more positive things that we're going to talk about later today? Yeah. Um, I think over my time as a Christian, which I guess has been the last, I was baptized when I was 20. So the last 13 years, uh, it'll be 13 years on May 4th. Yay. Mm -hmm. Um, I have just, I think in patterns and I think pretty globally about myself and then as a counselor and then as an educator and working at Harding, I pick up on these things, you know, and I have, I'm sure Satan uses all these tools. I'm sure he has several, but mm -hmm. the three that I have seen repeatedly and isolation has been more of a recent addition, especially after the last year, to be quite honest. But I, I think we become pretty crippled and handicapped from our purpose, which I feel like our purpose as human beings is to be in a relationship, um, the horizontal relationships with each other and our vertical relation with our father. I feel like we truly become crippled when we do harbor these secrets and we try to feel totally in control of something. Um, and I feel like secrets oftentimes then breed shame because they're these little like cancerous malignant cells inside of us and they continue to fester and grow and they can spread and infiltrate other parts of our life. And therefore you carry this sort of cloth of shame around you all the time. And then you don't feel worthy of these relationships that you're created for cre worthy of relationships with other human beings and oftentimes worthy of relationship with your creator. Yeah. And then isolation being totally cut off so that you don't feel those, you don't have those Barnabas like people around you who can encourage you and remind you of who you are and whose you are and help you sort of unpeel um, and battle those lies and those tools. And I yeah. think we have to be in community. Uh, so, you know, you have, you can't be isolated. And I feel like we have to be around people who know truth and seek truth um, to fight these lies and these secrets and to feel safe and to feel like we can be vulnerable. So if Satan can make us harbor these secrets and make us, you know, clothed in shame as opposed to as opposed to grace and he can cut us off from other people, then his work is basically done because mm -hmm. to me, that is the epitome of hopelessness. Yeah. Especially, and especially it makes sense too, to root it in, to root these kinds of tools in lies. Yeah. In lies, the lies that we end up believing about ourselves lead us to behave in ways to where we feel like we have we need to keep these secrets. No one would love me if they found out about X. Right. No one would want to be with me. No one would care about me. No one would fill in the blank if they knew these secrets. And so these secrets, yeah, behaviors built off of lies that we believe about ourselves. It's, a, it's an incredibly complex uh, web of 
deception and shame and isolation and attacking. And I mean, really, um, this is not to get off too far into the weeds with this, but you and I know individuals who have been in and uh, thankfully gotten out of abusive relationships. Yeah. And sin, sin is very much that type of relationship. Nobody has a positive relationship with Satan and people who think they do uh, are going to be in for a rude awakening. Right. When it all comes crashing down. But that is not all that we're going to talk about today. (laughs) I'm like bracing myself for another heavy conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, we've got more, uh, more exciting and more fun things to talk about. We had three other questions that I wanted to get to with you last time we, we talked. And so let me, <laughs> let me start off with the first one here. What are some positive developments or trends you've seen with college-age Christians recently? We've talked about a lot of the negative things that have happened right. to them and a lot of the negative things that they find themselves getting into. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, what are some positive things? Yeah, I think I touched on these a little bit last time um, in the like very first question, potentially. But one of my favorite things that I see in working with the students um, at Harding specifically, and those who are really devout in their faith, is their like yearning for a relationship and their yearning for things to be authentic you know I know it's such a buzzword but (laughs) for them it's a a reality they want things to be genuine they don't want incongruencies and they do not want hypocrisy and so is that is that what it is that what authentic means right I, I see it tied to a lot of times vulnerability vulnerability genuineness and to me for something to be authentic and real it cannot like they're it has to be void of hypocrisy a lot of the time mm-hmm. or else it's questionable, you know? Yeah. And so I really, I remember when I came to Harding and I struggled greatly with, you know, on one hand, Christians would say and believe these things, but on the other hand, I felt like there really was a lot of hypocrisy and I really wrestled with that. And mm-hmm. we're human beings, we're fallen and broken people. And I feel like church is just, you know, a big gathering of sinners. And I have to remind myself of that, you know, like we're all going to be broken and none of us are going to be perfect. Yeah. But the, I feel pretty strongly that, and I think young people who are devout in their faith and have made that like spiritual pledge of allegiance that you still need to be striving, you know, and we, I appreciate young Christians because they are not about like legalistic thinking. And that was something that I really struggled with initially um, Mm. being surrounded by people who I felt like when I was described the church, I was told a lot of like rules you know, and like boundaries. And Monty Cox just did a sermon in many ways about this just this last Sunday at downtown where I attend. But we, it was very much focused on, um, you know, what you can't and can't do, where the rules are, and in many ways checking off a box. But I feel like college students really want 
like the meat of scripture mm-hmm. and they want it to be about Jesus and they want it to be about relationship and they want it to be about grace and hope and like a heavenly focus. And I so admire that because I feel like, especially today in today's culture, these relationships are how we're going to create disciples of men. And it isn't going to be communicating, you know, these are the rules that you have to follow. And this like, it doesn't need to be that. And I think they go about spreading the love of Christ by trying to be like Christ mm-hmm. and being, you know, quick to listen and slow to speak in many ways. And I think young people are very outspoken and I think they are justice oriented. And I think I mentioned last time that I, I, one of my concerns is that a lot of people feel like they're equating social justice with Christianity. And I don't think that's good, Mm -hmm. but for the students who I feel like are strong in their faith, they're still very outspoken about loving all people and recognizing that when Jesus died and hung on that cross, he hung on the cross for every single person, whether it be somebody who looked like them or sounded like them or grew up like them. And to me, that's really powerful. And I think younger people, my college students are the one, and again, I keep saying the ones who are devout in their faith, like the ones who still hold on to it and they're not questioning. I think that they have a capacity for grace and understanding. And therefore to me, a lot more wisdom than a lot of people give them credit for, Mm -hmm. you know? And all of those things combine their passion and their justice-oriented nature and their desire for authenticity and transparency and vulnerability. And they're wanting things to sort of match like their feelings and their thoughts and their actions to all come together. I think those are beautiful things. And I think those are things in today's culture which are going to be hope providing and peace providing and ultimately a way to spread the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. The, the issue of consistency Mm -hmm. really stands out to me because I know when I was, when I was a student there, I wanted to know, I got, I, I had these professors that I really looked up to Um, many of them, you and I share as folks that we really look up to, folks that we think very highly of. I, I was always encouraged when I saw that there was a degree, a, a high degree of consistency between their public persona as Professor so-and-so, Dr. Mm-hmm. Such-and-such, you know, great lecturer, fantastic preacher, you know, awesome, awesome presenter, and them in their office mm-hmm. or them on social media. Mm-hmm. I was always, and it, well, and at that, at that time at college, they weren't on social media because I'm an OG social media user. <laughs> <laughs> you had to have a college uh, email address to use Facebook when I first got it. But uh, growing up and then when, you know, when, you know, more folks started getting on social media, mm-hmm. uh, seeing a, a high degree of consistency between what I thought and what actually appeared to be the case. That was always important for me. It was always yeah. disheartening. It never rocked my faith. I think because I had had enough positive experiences and had enough good training to kind of own my own faith. Mm-hmm. 
but for someone who um who might be a little bit more whose faith might be a little bit more vulnerable than mine was i can see how that would be really detrimental yeah yeah um talk to me about uh, justice oriented you mentioned that a lot of it seems to you like a lot of folks will equate the gospel mm -hmm. with what is commonly termed social justice Mm -hmm. Depending on who you talk to, social justice is a great good, or it's just one word away from a slur, a social justice warrior, mm -hmm. somebody who usually has uh, an abnormally colored uh, hair, <laughs> something along those lines. Like that's, I'm thinking of the stereotypes uh, that I that I hear uh, and think of when 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 people use that term uh as a term of derision what is it about justice yeah that that draws a lot of young christians towards that towards that goal what why why care about that kind of thing yeah i think and i've had these conversations so much the last year especially since the beginning of last June, to be mm -hmm. honest, I think, and this is something that, I mean, when I think of somebody who is a social justice to me, it isn't a negative thing. It's just a, when I say it, it's a desire to elevate all people. Sure. Yeah. I, when, when I make the differentiation between Christianity and social justice, it's more so a lot of people who are justice oriented, like just social justice oriented, um, a lot of the time, even if it's faith-based, I feel like they more have a universalist perspective. Mm -hmm. Whereas as a Christian, I feel like, you know, Jesus Christ is the way, mm -hmm. the way, not a way. Right. And there's, to me, yeah. the difference. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I do think that a lot of young Christians are social justice minded because they see especially in our like american culture and i realize right now that i might step on some toes and so hear me out and if i i have so many thoughts on this that if i am not explaining something or articulating something very well to you kevin please ask me and challenge me and if there's a listener out there yeah. that they're you're like okay i really don't understand what she means or she came across this way please email me i would love to yeah further and, and, elaborate. and here and like you know, with me, you're amongst friends and right. I've having been in ministry, as long as I have been in ministry, I, I have very quickly learned, okay, especially with friends, if they say something that sounds a little strange mm -hmm. or I disagree with, give them the benefit of the doubt. And if we still end up disagreeing, okay, right. No big deal. You know, with some things. There's some non-negotiables, right? Like yes, Jesus. <laughs> Correct. But yeah, no, I, I'll. Uh, I, I, I'm. I'm interested to hear what you have to say because now you've got everybody ready for the controversy you're about to drop on us. Well, okay. I didn't. I wasn't prepared to talk about this, but oh, I, I, I'm sorry. Great. I didn't mean to put it, you on No, no. This is good. This is. I'm praying just the Holy Spirit at work. So, I, I think. And this is the culmination of my thoughts and my spiritual conversations sure. and then yep. the dozens of conversations that I've had mm -hmm. um, with high school students and college students. 
the last year. I think that young Christians, you know, who are born and raised in America, a lot of us have been taught that America is a Christian nation. And then you look at America and I have, and I know a lot of young Christians have a major problem with the label of America being a quote unquote Christian nation because there are so many things not Christian about our culture and our society and what we work towards and in many ways our value and in so many ways like greed and like vulgarity in so many ways and lack of compassion and racism and discrimination, like just all of these levels of things that are commonly accepted, commonly encouraged and commonly not Christ-like. And so um, I, I think that young people want to extrapolate their faith, you know, from their nationalism or their political party and I appreciate that because I think that there are a lot of people who are not Christians who look at you know a person who is considered to be an upstanding Christian but then they look at I might really be stepping on toes it's okay but they might look at you know the super mega expensive car that they drive or the massive mansion that they have or who they even vote for and really question okay what you know well isn't Jesus the person who reaches out to everybody and is like so giving and non-judgmental and you know aren't Christians aren't their treasures to be like not made up on this earth but in heaven like all of these things and Um, they're trying to, uh, if, if I could just not even clarify, but just interject for just a second, these folks, these students, right? Mm Because we're talking about students. These students are looking at, you know, these hypothetical folks that you've described and they're wondering, okay, there appear to be inconsistencies, Mm -hmm. right? How, how do we square these? How, how does this make sense? Right. Is that is that a fair representation of yeah. what you're saying? And, and I think a lot of young people really disagree with how we have made Christianity almost so comfortable in this country. Mm-hmm. And I one of the things I appreciate, I think, the most about young Christians is, of course, there are some who are like lukewarm in their faith, but a lot of them they either don't have it at all, okay, or they have it so strongly. And I, I think that as you get older in a lot of Christianity, especially those who have always been taught and equated, you know, they're, they've just fused um, our culture's ideals and things that our culture says, okay, and if mm-hmm. our culture is a Christian culture, then all of these things are also permissible, but they haven't actually prepared, like compared it to the gospel, but I think young people do, mm-hmm. and I, I value that a lot in them, and I value them in many ways being able to die to self a lot more than older people, and um, my mind is all over the place. I'm really sorry. And, uh, <laughs> 
you know, gather right. my thoughts. Right. But I, I think, I think in the last year or two years, there have been so many people who have really been upset because they feel like, you know, America's dying as a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. And something that I think a lot of young people are seeing and something I feel like I see, to be quite honest, is that it died as a Christian nation a really long time ago. And I feel like because so many things have been made permissible, you know, um, and sort of creeping incrementalism, you know, we talked about that concept last time. I always think of Lori Klein and the concept of boiling a frog when I think Uh about that phrase, creeping incrementalism. Um, but we, the ideals we hold as a a country, I think are really different than true Christian ideals in many ways, not always. I'm not like this anti-American person, but uh, by any stretch, but I, I, I do think young people will see as they actually read the word, like, Hey, like to be a Christian, I, as a human being want to be more like this and not like what is acceptable and permissible in my culture and society. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate that because I think it gives an outlet to reach people who have been scoffed at Christians for being hypocritical for a really long time. Um, I dated a, a, a man who I truly deeply loved. I have a problem, I think, with bringing up my exes on this, but I dated a guy and he wasn't a Christian. And he was honestly... I could trust him more than any other Christian guy I ever dated. Mm-hmm. And he, um, he had so many amazing qualities as a person. That's why I, I dated him. And the reason we broke up ultimately was because he the foundation, like to me, the foundation of any really good relationship has to be spiritually based. Yep. I teach my Stephanie Lovehouse theory to my psychology <laughs> students and the foundation I, I like foundation that. is always God and the roof is always communication and then there are pillars. But uh-huh. I um when are you going to publish that book? <laughs> when you publish yours. <laughs> I it, we just couldn't agree, but we had countless conversations and the reason why he could never bring himself to be a carrier of the cross and to love Christians was because he couldn't get over just the amount of hypocrisy you know and people picking and choosing which parts of the gospel that they would believe in and enforce and then disregarding others Mm -hmm. you know so they would be pretty militant about enforcing whatever x y and z but totally disregard these sections that were uncomfortable or not convenient. And that I get, that also bothers me. And I think it bothers a lot of my students. So when they wrestle, you know, that a lot of the time when our students wrestle, I feel like it is because of that, you know, lack of transparency and vulnerability and also lack of congruence. And so I am, I am given a lot of hope by their desire to really flesh out and live life as a Christian, as a person, the same way here as they would anywhere on the globe. And to me, that also means loving all people and not having preconceived judgments or notions. You know, I, it has been a wild ride um, the last year, especially, especially when it comes to race 
and reconciling sure. a lot of people's, yeah. you know, beliefs. Because everybody mm-hmm. has prejudice. You cannot be a human being and be without prejudice, but we're called to be self-aware. Right. And prejudice is an attitude and discrimination is an action. Mm-hmm. And I like you cannot discriminate. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. And we are all going to have these prejudice attitudes that we may not even recognize. But as you grow older and mature, you are called, especially to me as a Christian, um, to try to become more aware of those things um, yeah. and to definitely not act on them. So when we have seen so many people who would claim Christ acting on their prejudices and discriminating, I think that raised an alarm for a lot of young people because mm-hmm. they're like, you know, Jesus would not like Jesus would wash this person's feet. Jesus would touch this person. Jesus would, you know, reach in and be in relationship with this person. And, you know, I think in our culture, it's easy to like rebuke those that we disagree with or who have wronged us or who are different than us. And to me, that isn't Christ-like, you know, right before like Christ knew everything that was about to happen to him in his final days in Judas 8 too. You know, and I think that is really powerful. And I think young people grasp that concept. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is grace and that is real love. And to me, that is the real gospel. And that is really hopeful to me about what it means to be in a Christian, especially in America, will look like in coming decades. Yeah. Yeah. I just said a whole lot and I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, there's a lot there. And um, <clears throat> it's interesting. I, I, I don't want to spend a ton of time on, on this particular thing that I'm about to mention. But it's interesting to say, I, I do understand, I genuinely understand what people say, what people mean mm-hmm. when they say America is a Christian nation. I genuinely understand what they mean. From a technical legal perspective, it is not. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, uh, the Establishment Clause, the First Amendment, deals mm-hmm. particularly with that. Yeah. But again, let me reiterate, I do understand what people mean when they say that. And when you look at American culture, even, even British, Canadian culture, there's certainly an underlying foundation of Judeo-Christian oh, value. Oh, no doubt about that. Absolutely. Yeah. But... Uh, it does, it is interesting to see, well, I hope, I hope that we as the church continue to align our hope correctly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, goodness, like if you were to look over here on this side of my desk, I've got, I've got a little American flag over there. You, I mean, you're not going to be able to see it, but it's right next to my little Tennessee flag. And I've got a Tennessee flag right here. I, I love this place. It's great. I'm also aware that my hope isn't here. Amen to that. Um, my hope is in someone seated at the right hand of God whose own spirit powers me to really get to work do the mission 
to do the kinds of things in his name. And that's something, too, that I, I think you had alluded to at some point that, uh, that we didn't get to uh, get to go into very much uh, before you started stepping on everyone's toes. <laughs> okay. <I'm kidding. laughs> um, no, but there is a difference, right? The kinds of righteousness, righteous action, which mm-hmm. I think is a good way to define justice, as a lot of people use it, because justice is a... I, you mentioned earlier that authenticity is a buzzword. I think a lot of times justice can be a buzzword. A lot of folks will mention it and they might not properly root it in Christ right. as much as they should, um, at least for, for at least for the folks that I would want to criticize. Maybe that's a, that's a very careful nuance there. Um, but I think that if we are to engage in this righteous action, of uh, of drawing all people towards Christ, um, that's the mission, right? That's what that's the thing that we need to be doing. And if we call it justice, that's fair. That's a that's a fair way to describe that. Um, but it has to be, and this is what you had alluded to earlier. It has to be in His name. It has to be in Jesus's name. It you don't have to be a Christian to be a humanitarian. Correct. You know, correct. And I think a lot of young people see others who are phenomenal humanitarians who are doing so much good and providing so much like earthly hope Mm -hmm. to people. And then they, then, you know, shift and look over here at these people who are Christians who aren't doing that level. And I think they have to, they have a hard time reconciling that. Yeah. I think they're wanting so to I, see both and. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is a positive trend yes. <laughs> to bring us back. Yes. That is a positive trend that you see in college students. I, I remember kind of noticing a lot of that too, mm-hmm. at, uh, especially at, at Harding. Because um, it did... There, there's a, there's is there still a really strong international missions focus there? Oh yeah, global outreach. Okay, yeah, I I I felt that that was the case, but since I hadn't been a student there in years, um, mm-hmm. I didn't I, I didn't know. Um, I felt a lot of my peers had that kind of impulse to mm-hmm. really to to go and in Christ's name. Um, do the kinds of physical things that Jesus did, whether it's feeding someone or giving some cold water, you know, the kinds of things either Jesus did or talked about. Um, And I was just always, I was always eager to hear, okay, are you a humanitarian or are you, are you a Christian first? And you're doing this in order to create a relationship with someone in order to disciple them and bring them Mm -hmm. into, into the fold. Right. Of the great shepherd, or the good shepherd. Yeah. Yeah. That's one trend. Got anything else? I feel like I could talk about the good things about college students all the time. I think <laughs> another, trying to decide which one to prioritize at the moment. Mm-hmm. I think another really good trend, on the, like last time I talked about how a lot of young people just automatically believe what they see and they don't think critically Mm -hmm. on the flip side of that 
there is a, a pretty good sized cohort of students who are not that way at all. And it isn't that, you know, that they have to have proof for everything, but they, they want and they thirst for looking at the whole picture and thinking critically and educating themselves. And so they will very willingly, you know, read a lot of books and listen to a lot of podcasts and sit in your office for hours having deep and hard conversations because they want to flush it out. And they know they, you know, even in reading like Psalms or Proverbs, there are things that sort of contradict and they, they want to have those conversations and they lean into that discomfort a lot and they lean into their misunderstandings and they will lean into really trying to fully understand. And I, I appreciate that a lot because they don't just readily accept what they've always been taught and they don't just readily accept, okay, you know, I was born and raised church of Christ. I'm always going to be church of Christ. I know their parents might really appreciate if that were true (laughs) for some, I'm sure that that's it. Um, but I'm actually really thankful that it's not because they want to, especially when they come to Harding, it's the first time when they are on their own for going to church and choosing mm-hmm. what they believe. And all of us professors, although we all at Harding, you know, attend churches of Christ, our churches yeah. of Christ are really different. Mm-hmm. And um, there's, you know, controversy within the churches of Christ here in Cersei, let alone. Really? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I mean, that's okay as long as the body of Christ we do agree on the things that are salvation issues, you sure. know, Jesus, yeah. baptism. Yeah, but the other like legalistic things, there's going to be discord, and that's okay, at least to me. But they start to go through this okay, well, what do I believe, and why do I believe it? And they question, and to me, you know, I kind of view it like I would. A, a boyfriend situation like I don't want a boyfriend to choose me because his parents were like you need to do a Stephanie she's the bomb.com I don't know what parent would say that but just came out of my mouth <laughs> well, I might have said that 20 years ago <laughs> I know ages me but I would never want a guy to date me just because he always was told that he had to you know mm-hmm. or that it just was like the next natural thing right. like I would want him to to know me and to know everything about me and to still choose me. You know, that's the beauty of those intimate relationships in our life, whether they're platonic or romantic is the fact that somebody knows you even at your worst and still loves you and knows when you're complicated and still chooses you. And so college students now, I think a lot of them really do want that own intimate relationship. And they might, that might cause them initially to really question their faith and to some extent abandon it some and go look at other things and explore other things and then circle back like you know what i choose christ i think that's something that for those students who take monty cox's living world religions class you know they get exposed to all of these different belief systems and millions and billions of people around the world you know believe these different things and this is why and they become educated on something that is very different than what most of them were raised with Mm -hmm. and you know they take a trip each semester in non-covid times and they get to see and then it's brought back to like okay and this is you know we can know all of these things and understand them but this is why we choose christianity and this is why we choose christ and believe Mm -hmm. that he is the ultimate 
And I mean, I went through that own, my own journey of faith of like, I read a lot of the Quran because I was like, okay, well, why do a billion people believe this? Sure. You know, there yeah. has to be some truth to it and what it like, what's going on here. And I had friends who were Jewish and I had to reconcile like, why, okay, well, why do they not believe that Jesus is who he says he is, you know, like the true Messiah and just gathering all of these thoughts. And I love that about college age students that some of them are really willing to question because it then strengthens that relationship because it's been proven and it's a choice. And when something to me is a choice, it is so much stronger than just something that you've always known. So it's comfortable because it's really hard to defend something. And that to me is a weakness of a lot of college students is if push comes to shove and they're asked to defend their faith, they can't, they sort of just parrot what they've heard from other people. Right. But for a lot of college students, they can defend it because they've had to defend it to themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's the difference between a faith of convenience and a faith of conviction. Yeah. Yeah. This and notion. Of, yes. Yeah. This notion I've seen that, a lot of students with faith of conviction. And that to me is really encouraging because they can defend it. That's good. I think that that also ties in really well with the next question I was going to ask is what do these college students have to offer the church? Mm-hmm. I think it is important to question in the way that you've been describing questioning, right? It's not always, at least how you've been describing it, right? It's not like all of these students are, well, why do we do this? And why do we do that? And that's done. Why should we? Mm-hmm. It's That's not the perception that I'm getting from you here, right. the questioning is more akin to investigation. Mm-hmm. And it is important. I mean, I think every generation has to go through this, right? It's, we just, we now happen to be ourselves and your students. We happen to be in the generation where there's a lot of investigation going on. And mm-hmm. a, a lot of, a lot of generations have to do that at some point or another maybe that investigation is kind of tied into some larger cultural themes that we mentioned earlier that you mentioned earlier about, about discrimination and um, understanding our prejudices and things like that. But the, the kinds of things you've been talking about really seem like investigation. And in that sense, it is healthy for us to, to pause and say, okay, you know, do I really believe this? Am I willing to commit to this? Because if you aren't, if you just go through those motions, it'll either become dry and kind of unhelpful for you and you'll abandon it at some point. Or if you try to live that lie long enough, that's a really quick way to have a midlife crisis that ends Mm -hmm. (laughs) best case scenario, right? You get a new sports car, worst case scenario. (laughs) It's a lot more sinister than that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In addition to just their energy, <laughs> young mm-hmm. people can offer a little bit of challenging to the church because they they do want the authenticity and they want to challenge things that aren't really Christ-like. And I think, you know, if they are young Christians, we oftentimes will accept their challenging more than we will somebody who is outside of the church, outside of our congregation 
we would just perceive it as like bashing the church. Sure. You know? Yeah. And I think, I think that a lot of them want the wisdom of older members, you know, shepherds and elders in the church. And they want to absorb that and are humble enough to do it. But they, I, I think a lot of the young people, at least that I know, and I'm very blessed to know, have the internal confidence to, to ask the hard questions and to challenge and to make suggestions of how things can be done better. So at least from my perspective, if churches were really wanting to expand their, their numbers and not just serve those in their congregation, but grow their congregation, you mm-hmm. know, and make disciples of men outside of their walls, I think it would behoove them to get the perspectives of younger people and see what, you know, younger people have stopped going to church in many ways. And I, that's just, I feel like pretty statistically true. And I think you need to hear the wisdom of what the young people who are still remaining in your pews have to say, why their peers aren't coming to church, about why other people aren't, you know, what are we doing wrong? And I know even in, especially in Circe, I had a conversation just last week with a student who is, to me, a pretty spiritual powerhouse, but they struggle going to church. This is a minority student. And she is like, you know, when I look around, no one here looks like me. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's a pretty huge church that she attends. And it isn't that no one in our community looks like her. It's just that they aren't typically who that church reaches out to. And I think she has a hard time reconciling that. Mm-hmm. And again, it is, uh, I think... <sighs> young people are more willing to get outside their comfort zones, you know, when it comes sure, to yeah. reaching out yeah. and doing those things, especially people who look different or act different or sound different or whatever. And I, I think that as the church, we need that. Um, and yeah. I, I don't think that they're as intimidated by differences as a lot of older people are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I especially, all of that makes sense, especially when you start putting it in terms of like comfort zones, mm-hmm. because I mean, it is easy. Like I, I've, I've had to check myself over the years to, to make sure that my comfort zones are continually, that I'm continually pushing them. Yeah. Because like for the last six years, I was, I was in a PhD program. And so every day I was at school, I was talking with folks, having, you know, occasionally having pretty high level conversations about, you know, this person and that person and why they thought this and their theory and, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with, you know, for me, it was, you know, ancient theories of historiography and ancient methods of, uh, of, history writing and, um, you know, looking at, um, you know, looking at some of the trends that, uh, you know, postmodernism has brought into history writing and things like that and how that's affecting biblical studies. And like, like that's a pretty high level conversation that, yeah. you know, some of my folks at church, the church that I worked at in Kentucky, they would be able to roll with, 
but the majority of them, that that wouldn't have been their first interest. Right. A lot of them would have been more concerned, like, do I care to come sit with them and visit them because their mom is sick? And that kind of thing is a little outside my comfort zone because I'm, I don't know that I'm very great or gifted for pastoral ministry like that. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why I need to keep doing it. Right. Agreed. I need to keep pushing myself because it would be easy as I got more comfortable in my doctoral program and more comfortable with my friends. It was easier for me to, to say, I was like, Oh, you know, these are, these are my people. I can minister to these people. It's like, well, you've also got these other folks mm-hmm. that you need to make sure you're ministering to right. as well. And I think, especially for that reason, I can see why a lot of younger folks, and I think that's across generation, right? Like when our yeah. parents were, you know, were in college or coming out of high school or whatever, they were able to roll with a lot of things that these days, maybe not so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Energy, uh, an investigative spirit. Maybe that's a charitable way to put, yes. put it, an investigative spirit. Perfect. Um, yeah. And especially with the right attitude too, an investigative spirit that leads us to reflect critically critically in the best possible sense too right that leads us to reflect critically on the kinds of things that we do that's good i mean jesus was challenging people to reflect critically on the kinds of things that they were doing and saying oh all the time i mean i wear a widow's mite because at the time like from israel but at the time you know oh, that's all she gave because mm-hmm. at a, like an earthly human level, it's like, oh, no, you know, this ton of money is so much better. And I, I think that young people grasp that a little bit better, to be quite honest, a lot of the time. And they, yeah. they think about the margins a lot of times more than others. And I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It is, I'll admit, it is harder for me to consider some of these kinds of issues and some of these kinds of folks. When I look at what I bring in and I look at what goes out, I've got a mortgage, you know, stuff like that, which in itself is not at all anything to, you know, not anything bad. We, uh, we pray regularly for opportunities to use our house, for example, since I mentioned mortgage to use our house as a means to bless others. But like, I am aware that, you know, if we'd gotten something else, maybe we'd have a little bit more things like that. It's, that is a challenge. Yeah. That is a challenge. Um, And one that I hope that we're good stewards with. Right. And I think a lot of times I see young people, young people, (laughs) amazing. I see young people able to trust more. Mm -hmm. You know, and they know, okay, like I'm going to have to make this work. I do have, you know, a mortgage or I do have bills or I do have these obligations. However, I think young people are really good at trusting that if they are in tune to the spirit and like following the Lord's will, then he will provide in some way. Yeah. Whereas even I sometimes get caught up and like, oh, like I get concerned and sometimes worried and I like to control things. And mm-hmm. I think. I think that sometimes younger people are better at trusting and I, they convict me all the time um, to just trust because yes. 
if the Lord is going to use you in this way and for you to be a good steward of your gifts and to get outside of your comfort zone, then he's going to provide in ways that you cannot control. And oftentimes better than you could have ever done on your own. And so not oftentimes, always, but I think that's another value added. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stephanie, as we near the end mm-hmm. of our time together this morning, let me ask this question. How can adults beyond typical college age students walk with college students? How can we help them grow in their faith? I think I've heard some hints here and there, as you've mentioned, things like relationships, authenticity, vulnerability, stuff like that. Would you want to expand on those a little bit or is there anything else you want to throw into that mix? I mean, for sure, those things, they definitely... Young people, I think, want to hear that you're not perfect and hear that you still have challenges Mm -hmm. and hear your own experiences and to not sort of just cover everything up and pretend like your life is perfect because it's not. Yeah. And that I think is important. I think they also, young people want to be heard. A lot Mm -hmm. of times they're, you know, just disregarded as their youth or like, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. They're only, you know, in their late teens or 20s. I feel like that's pretty ignorant because they have a lot of wisdom and insight that we can't have. And I, I feel kind of like an in-between and I feel like you probably feel the same, (laughs) you know, there's a part of you that's still like youthful and then they are like just an old OG, you know, more (laughs) ways than just social media. In terms of social media. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think that puts us in a unique like situation, those Mm -hmm. of us in our thirties, but for young people, you have to listen to them and to truly listen to listen and not just listen to respond. I think that's critical Mm. and they want to be talked with and not talked at. And they also want to be challenged, but I think it has to be in a way that is really respectful. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody could scream at me, Stephanie, I love you. But if they're screaming and they look really rude and condescending, I'm not going to hear what they said. (laughs) It's going to be really off-putting too. Yeah, exactly. And I I think young people really value deep conversations, but ones where you listen and you respect them enough to hear their thoughts and, you know, you are willing to grow together and challenge one another. Mm So I I think an important part of that mentorship is also opening yourself up to being challenged and to being convicted. I am convicted all of the time um, by the student, my students and a Stephanie, you have to be doing better here, you know, or I didn't think of that. And it's really humbling. And therefore it can be really hard because it's not fun. It's not always fun to be called out. What do they know? Yeah. They're only 18 to 22. Yeah. Like, uh, but I think we also have to do the same to them. And I, I think there are some adults who treat young people still with baby gloves, you know, and they try to like sure. shelter them too much. I think we have to, especially by the time they're in college, you know, we have to stop doing that because they, they need to have that investigative spirit and they need to learn and to actually grow and own their own faith. And almost every college student I know wants that. Mm-hmm. Um, they may not enjoy the feeling in the moment, but nobody really likes and enjoys getting outside of their comfort zone. That's why it's literally outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. But that is the only place right. where growth happens is outside of your comfort zone. And so interesting. Yeah. 
I, and not all comfort zones look the same too, right? No, we're like, all, we all have our own personal things. Like, I feel like, you know, I would love to go sit next to somebody's mother's bed while they're sick and talk to them, mm-hmm. but I don't want to talk about whatever it is you were talking about just a second ago. <laughs> <laughs> My dissertation. We have very different gifts, um, yeah. Yeah. but I would gladly, you know, hold somebody's hand for hours and just while they're in a hospital and yeah. hang yeah. out. Um, and that's okay. That, but having a very like high level PhD level conversation, that's a no for me, Kevin. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I, Un- until a, you go good. get your PhD. Uh, I have my EDS. I'm fine for now, but <laughs> there you go. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, I think that to me, that is the beautiful part though, about being in the body of Christ is that though we're all called to be hands and feet, some of us are eyes and some of us are ears and we can't be jealous of the strengths God gave us each, you know, we just have to use them and know how to be more effective and efficient with them sometimes. And young people are going to tell you how to do that a lot more than you would realize. On the, on the rare occasions that I get to see my nephews, I had mentioned uh, before, Mm -hmm. I think before we started recording, I'd mentioned my, uh, my nephew, who's a sophomore in college and um, his younger brother is a sophomore or junior in high school. Uh, On the rare occasion that I do get to see them, especially they're a little bit older than their sister uh, who's I think in middle school now uh, my niece they I, I get to have these kinds of conversations with them or just just briefly you know Thanksgiving or Christmas or you know, family get togethers or whatever yeah. I do get to have these kinds of conversations with them and it's really neat for me to be able to to model the kinds of listening and and dialoguing that I want to do with my sons who are both very young that hadn't started kindergarten yet um, where I'll, I'll, I'll listen to them and, you know, mm-hmm. in the moment when I can, I'll, I'll try to ask, you know, a question that is, is hopefully going to prompt some reflection or something along those lines. Um, never, never do I just go into any, any conversation, whether it's lighthearted or, or ser- more serious with them thinking, well, these guys are dumb. <laughs> They're only like, like 20 and uh, 16 or whatever. They don't know anything like that. That's never how I approach it. I'm uh, thankful for that. But you're, there are people who are different than that, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if some of that is maybe, um, maybe those uh, older individuals reflecting on how they were at that time. Mm-hmm. And maybe they, maybe they're ashamed. Yeah. Maybe Projecting they, poorly. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. So to kind of bring some review here, since we covered a lot and some of what you hadn't hadn't planned on, but I do appreciate you being able to to speak to some of these things. Um, Some of these positive developments that we've seen include um, an energy uh, or a a vulnerability or an openness, a a desire for authenticity, a a really an inquisitive spirit, an investigative spirit. And uh, that is the kinds of things that you mentioned that they are able to bring to the church. Right. They can have um, that that might be God's way of poking us just a little bit to say, hey, don't get so comfortable that you forget your first love. You should be 
you should be regularly involved in the process of call it introspection or critical reflection or something along those lines. You should regularly be thinking about those kinds of things. And Stephanie, if there's one thing, if there's one thing that I've heard you and uh, Zach Neal, your colleague there at mm-hmm. Harding, or a trio of campus ministers that I talked to at, at this time, of, at the time of recording a couple of weeks ago, um, one thing that all of y'all have mentioned is the overwhelming importance of real, genuine relationships. Yes. With these folks. Surely that is not a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, I intentionally didn't listen to the others because I did not want to be swayed in any way. <laughs> uh, well, and, and, and so like that, I mentioned my dissertation. I'll briefly mm-hmm. bring it because it's relative here or relevant here. Yeah. Um, when you have, yeah, finally a chance. <laughs> yeah. Everybody who has written a thesis or a dissertation gets really excited when suddenly their really theoretical thing becomes super practical. Yes. Like one of the ways that, um, that historians assess the historical validity of an event or something along those lines, or if validity is maybe a, not the right word, maybe probability, we can have a high probability that such a thing happened versus a low probability that such a thing happened. One of the ways is, do we have independent sources? Do we have multiple independent sources attesting to you know this person who lived they said these things they did these things do we have multiple and independent attestation and you and zach and uh, chris casey and rusty those y'all haven't listened to each other not beforehand and independently multiply you have all attested to the overwhelming importance of having solid, genuine, God-honoring relationships with people uh, in this age group. You can extrapolate that further too, but especially with folks in this age group. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that that is just set up in the New Testament pretty clearly. You know, Jesus had his 12 disciples voila wow (laughs) he wrote the book that's all we have to do wow man yeah imagine that jesus giving him giving us a model for life and i know but i mean even amongst those 12 he had those who he was even closer to you know and i i think that we are to model that and so as much as i would love to be super close to all you know 64 students in my psychology class Mm -hmm. that isn't going to happen and i feel like there are always Every year at Harding, there are about three or four students, both male and female, that I am especially close to. Yeah. And I'm close to them, you know, throughout their whole Harding career. And some of them are about to graduate. I can't think about it. But that I definitely fail a lot of the time, but I have to remind myself that like it's a it's okay to really focus in on these few and to not feel like I have to be. 100% to every single person. Cause that just mm-hmm. mathematically isn't possible. Sure. And yeah. if I can focus then on these, you know, four, three, four, five, and then, you know, help build them up and they can each go out and focus on three or four or five. And then that, you know, I feel like slowly, but it's really effective. And that is what we need. We don't need a bunch of superficial Christian people out there. We right. need those who have deep relationship. And yeah. So really 
find a handful of people, minister to them, and then go from there. Yeah. yeah. Stephanie, really appreciate your time. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you so much.